All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Ravid Show. Happy Tuesday. I'm super excited for today's show as we have uh, not one but two exceptional guests, Sanjeev Mohan, the principal at Sanjmoh and ex-former uh, analyst at Gartner and uh, none other than Igor, uh, co-founder and CTO at Big Eye. We'll be discussing about data observability, data ops, data warehouse. Maybe we'll also get into the present and future of data observability. So looking forward to hearing from two experts. Uh, we are open to questions, insights, and anything you might have for Igor and Sanjeev. So don't hesitate asking those questions. Uh, get those running by us. We are also giving away one swag by Big Eyes. So to, what, do you, what do you just need to do is type in hashtag Big Eye in the chat and... Here we go. This is what you need to type and you'll enter the raffle by towards the end of the show. Obviously, we'll be announcing the winner for the raffle. Okay, just a little about our guest. Sanjeev uh, Mohan is an established thought leader in the areas of cloud, big data and analytics. He researches and advises on changing trends, technologies and the modern data architectures. Until recently, he was a, a Gartner vice president known as is prolific and detailed research for directing the data analytics agenda. A little about Igor, he, uh, like I mentioned, he's the co-founder and CTO at Big Eye. Before starting Big Eye, Igor was a staff engineer at Uber where he scaled the company's first data warehouse, supporting thousands of internal users and mission-critical workloads. Can't wait to hear from both of them. So let's get both of them up here. Hey, Igor. Hey, Sanjeev, welcome to the Ravid Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ravid, thanks for having us. It's such a pleasure to have you back, Igor, obviously, because you share a lot around data observability and we can't wait to hear more things. But uh, obviously, it's a pleasure to have you, your Sanjeev, because we've been hearing a lot from you around data observability, but not only just that, around data, uh, about big data. So we would love to hear your thoughts. But why not go out with your introductions uh, and then we can get into the weeds. Maybe Igor, you can go first. Sure. And I, I, you've done a great job of introducing myself, but I'm uh, Igor. I am uh, the co-founder and CTO here at Big Eye. I am a data nerd at heart. I've built, done software for my whole career, but I've always done software in service of data and analytics of some sort. Everything from Hadoop to data warehousing and BI and analytics and uh, ETL, SQL, whatever, anything, anything data related, I have probably touched it at some point in time. <laughs> and building data tools is really my passion. I've done it internally at Uber and started Big Eye as a way to bring a lot of these best practices and uh, the knowledge that we've built up uh, over time to the rest of the market. So very excited to be here. Okay, this is fantastic. Sanjeev? Thank you, Robert. So I also have to say that I'm also not a data nerd, a data geek. <laughs> and if you're wondering, like, what's the difference? Data geeks and data nerds are almost the same. Data nerds are just socially awkward. <laughs> that, that, that is, this is why you're the analyst, Sanjeev. <laughs> I said that at a conference and somebody said, is there going to be a Gartner magic quadrant on this topic? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm very happy to be on this call. Uh, I uh, was in Gartner for almost five years, uh, part of the data and analytics team, had a great time there, 
researched, learned a lot, wrote a lot of documents uh, while I was there. But now, uh, since uh, one year, I decided to go independent because I just wanted to explore more avenues, expand my research area into some new topics that, you know, are not that were not yet well defined. Data observability was one of them. I was already talking to Igor, so he had introduced me to this concept. But uh, I've done my own research since then and uh, learned from the industry. And now data ops, data observability are two of my favorite topics. Okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, Sanjeev, I like the uh, title Data Geek. Uh, it obviously <laughs> brings a lot uh, out there when you become a data geek. Uh, but since you both come you know, from a data background and obviously uh, data engineering as a space has been you know, obviously evolved a lot. I would actually love to hear from you both. How do you look at it, you know, since last few years? And obviously, how do you see it in the future as well? Yeah, I, uh, I'd be happy to start. So data engineering is following a really interesting path right now in terms of scale, both in terms of volume of data, but also in terms of complexity of use cases and the heterogeneity of the data and the use cases at the same time. So if you think back to, I mean, we can look back a little bit more than a few years, but before data warehouses were on-prem, you usually had to, uh, usually started by syncing your own internal data into these warehouses and you had your application data, you did some ad pro product analytics and performance analytics then slowly things started moving in the other direction where you started bringing in data from the outside the business, from marketing, from um, sales, from uh, click tracking on your website, whatever it is, maybe even third-party uh, data that you're buying from other uh, services in order to enrich the information you have internally and make some business decisions. And over time, data engineering has changed because you now have to deal with all of these complexities. You don't just have to understand your own company's data, but you also have to understand where is all the external data coming from? How does it join right. in? How do you model that so that it actually makes sense? And so this is a much uh, more difficult job than it was five years ago. And this mm. is really why you're seeing all this proliferation of data tooling to help you with the modeling. We're talking about things like semantic layer is very popular right now. Metric layer, semantic layer, these notions of how do you canonicize information around the business when the information is all over the place and has different definitions everywhere else. And so that uh, there's tooling around that. There's tooling around data observability and data quality because now it's not just about what you know about your data. It's about what is expected of data that you do not control. There's uh, data, this data catalogs are becoming exceptionally popular now right. for the same reason. You have so much more data and so much more diversity in it that you need to be able to control that at scale and not, and not at the scale of hiring more people, but at the scale of how do you make the people more efficient? How do you give autonomy to the, your data users? And I hate to use a buzzword here, but how do you democratize data within your organization by giving right. people the tools that they need? And so that's where I think data engineering has really gone in the last few years. And moving forward, it's only going to get w worse from a complexity perspective <laughs> because um, there's, al there's always new sources. There's always more information. There's always more decisions to be made. 
I think the next big leap is going to be the performance and efficiency uh, standpoint, because now that we can get all this data in one place, now we're starting to see all of these discussions around, well, okay, what costs more, Snowflake or Databricks or BigQuery? And right. uh, previously when the focus was around get things in, do something with it, let's just get more things into one place, run more queries, run more ETL, do more modeling. Now it's a question of, all right, well, now we're running 100 pipelines, but people only look at five, 10 tables on a weekly basis. Do we need to run 100 pipelines? Should we run, run them less frequently? What size is our warehouse? Do we need to run an extra large snowflake warehouse or can we suffice on a medium and save ourselves money that way? I think cost and efficiency is that next hurdle that data engineering is going to overcome in the same way that software engineering had to overcome it when they went to the cloud when they started running applications on AWS and they said, great, we can auto scale it. And then it mm -hmm. auto scales to a $100,000 a month bill and nobody uh, expects that. So that same hurdle is coming for data engineering. And I think that's going to be the focus in the next year or two for a lot of teams. Pretty interesting insights. What do you think about it, Sanjay? So uh, Igor's answer is right on the dot and he's covered a vast space so if I were to add a few more things to what he said, so one change that I see why data engineering is so hot is because we are now focused on building data products. And data products are basically adding more uh, product management discipline into how we build uh, out data outcomes. But it's the outcomes are the same. You know, it could be a table, a report, a dashboard, a machine learning model. But with that uh, product management discipline, so that's a data product. So that's one. The other thing that is happening is, uh, and Igor mentioned this, that we have more data, more data sources. So we are creating these pipelines. And literally, organizations today are running thousands of pipelines at mm -hmm. all various times. So they run uh, at different durations uh, for different lengths of time. They are built by data engineers that may be geographically distributed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and they use their own tools. And who are they serving? The, the data consumers. And the data consumers are no longer just, you know, a few you know, subject matter experts running uh, reports or dashboards, but there could be thousands, tens of thousands of consumers. When you multiplex all this, you got multiple data sources, multiple pipelines, multiple consumers, multiple tools, geographically distributed, something is going to break. And right. like, you know, Werner Vogels has said uh, at uh, reInvent CT of Amazon.com, everything breaks all the time, especially at that scale, when you talk about thousands. So that's why, and I completely agree with Igor, that's why this space is going to get even more complex. And right. that's the world we live in. Okay, that those are uh, great insights, uh, Sanjeev, definitely. And uh, thanks for sharing that. And today, obviously, when we talk about data engineering, though, most important and the most hot thing that comes out is data observability and people are uh, knowing the importance of data observability out there and wanting to learn more about it but observability isn't a new topic and you know has been prevalent in apps and infrastructure since a, since a while now so how do you think you know how is data observability different uh, what are your thoughts around that 
maybe sanjeev oh, yeah, yeah so so basically by explaining why data how data engineering has changed i i laid the groundwork of why observability is needed because i mm. painted this this big picture of how complex this is you're absolutely right observability is not a new topic we've been doing this in applications we used to call it apm or we still call it uh, application performance mm -hmm. management infrastructure right. so companies like splunk datadog and there's so many of them they've been around for a very long time uh, by very long time it's all relative it's we're only talking about last 10 to 12 years but the mm -hmm. point is that we used to look at infrastructure level uh, metrics like packets firewall uh, uh, SIEM, SEM tools, and things like that. But it's more important to look at data. In fact, I would even say that uh, observability is actually not as important as it used to be because so much of our infrastructure has moved to the cloud. If I'm an end user, I, I don't uh, put firewalls and, uh, you know, a norm, like network. I, intrusion detection system, that's cloud provider's problem. My problem is data. I need the same level of metrics. I need to know, is my pipeline reliable? Is my data quality good? Is my my performance acceptable? How, how uh, are they trending? Can I predict if something is going to go wrong? So all of that is at the data level. And that is my biggest asset. I, as an organization, I only care about data at this point. I don't really care about infrastructure. So in my opinion, data observability market should be at least as big as observability market, if not bigger. Igor? Okay. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I think the to go back to why it, it's bigger and also how it's different, it... I'm also going to go back to my previous answer. Data is just so unique. Every company has their own data that they're tracking. There's There are very few similarities across uh, data sets. Every company has their own models, has their own concepts, has their own um, information they're tracking in their own format. Some uh, teams use um, SQL and fully uh, normalized tables. Some companies take a big JSON blob and throw it into a MongoDB. It's all data at the end of the day, and it all needs observability, and you still need to understand what it, it looks like and when it's performing in the way, uh, in ways that you don't expect, and then what are you going to do about it? And that's really what observability tries to help you, uh, help you solve for. And the reason data observability is uh, different is because in software, the concepts across applications are very similar. You have, mm. you have your um, latency in your QPS and you have your um, memory utilization, CPU utilization. Same, I can track the same metrics and when those metrics go wrong, I know something's going wrong in my application and then I can start mm. working backwards. In data, there's so many things that can go wrong. There, I, a field goes missing, it goes null, it changes, for, the values in that field change. Uh, in app, uh, from an application perspective, normal software observability doesn't look at that. We don't look at API request response patterns in order to understand, did something change about the inner workings of that API? But we, we look at the QPS. But what if the QPS is the same, but the response from the server is actually different? Maybe you expect a 
a an email uh, in your response and you're getting something that's not an email, like it's a hash of some sort or a user UID because the application uh, developer changed something and, and it, it got broken. Applic software observability doesn't solve for that. Data observability has to, because once it's at the data layer, once you've now put this in the database and analysts or uh, uh, data consumers are looking at it, they need to know that it has changed. And describing that, the process of being able to um, look for that and describe it and track it and understand what, where it's coming from, what it's affecting, that makes data observability so much harder and such a more intractable problem at the generic level. And so a lot of the tooling and a lot of what we, we do at Big Eyes help, help build products that uh, allow you to express that, um, that broad sp uh, space of observability that you want to track about any sort of data that you have. And that's the important part of it. And that's why it's, it's so much harder. And that's why it's such a large market as well. Yeah. And just to add to that, uh, Ravit, uh, imagine you have an infrastructure consisting of many applications and an application crashes. If you've got proper, like good uh, systems in place, that application can auto heal and restart. Uh, there might be a blip from a user experience uh, point of view. And now, you know, you're back to normal. But imagine now that the database crashes. You have no idea, like, did the transaction commit? Is the quality good? You know, it's like, what is the state of that? So that's why data, uh, anything that touches data is just constantly changing, uh, gets more complicated than infrastructure or an application. Okay, the, those are uh, great points there. Uh, thanks, Sanjeev. Thanks, Igor. Also, we have a few questions here from the audience and kind of interesting questions to definitely pick those. One from uh, Kent himself. Uh, thanks for joining, Kent. Uh, it's nice to hear from you. Can you effectively do data engineering today without data ops or observability? Very interesting question. I, I would say yes, yes. but it depends mm -hmm. at what scale. Right. So we, for example, for example, I, um, at Big Eye, we set up Snowflake early. Obviously we're a data shop. We have, uh, we care a lot about data. We had a team of four people and we had a Snowflake instance and we all knew what the data that was going in there. We didn't really have that much of it. We set up our pipelines. We went to Fivetran, we swiped our credit card. We moved the pipelines over, set up a couple of basic models in DBT and started doing some analytic uh, product analytics. That's still data engineering. We're still building the pipelines. We're still uh, getting the data from point A to point B. We're still, we, sure, we didn't have observability on it. We didn't have a catalog and we didn't have all this lineage information, but we didn't care at that point because we that wasn't the purpose of the data engineering. The purpose of the data engineering was to quickly drive some sort of business decision. Uh, data ops and observability and all of this tooling is required once you need to scale that. Once, it, once you get to the point where you can't hold all this information in, uh, some a person's head, and once there, you need to scale that out to the rest of the organization, and you find yourself answering the same questions, you find yourself running into the same problems over and over again that you need to, you want to track yourself, um, automate the tracking of. That's when you need a lot of this tooling. And so, can you do it effectively to solve the business problem at hand? Yes, but what we found is teams scale out of that very very quickly. 
And for two reasons, one is the data becomes very important to the business, in which mm. case, let's say you're a financial uh, a, a fintech company and the data is your lifeblood. You need accurate data in order to um, process, let's say, loan applications or whatever it is, right? Maybe you have a team of 10 people, but you're, if your data is wrong or something goes uh, or something's up with your data and it doesn't work, your business doesn't work. And that's a problem. Right. And so then you need to bring in the tooling. Or once you scale past tribal knowledge phase, uh, then it becomes harder to do it effectively. So that I think at some scale it's possible, but most companies get to be on that point very, very quickly. Yeah. I, I, I want to add to that, uh, Igor, uh, you're absolutely right. You don't need data ops or data observability. You can do data engineering without that. But the, the problem is that you are now relying on your praying and crossing your fingers that things don't break. And who will find out if things break? Maybe the CFO. And the CFO will now call you and say, you know, that change you put certainly has broken my dashboard. Yeah. At that point in time, the IT team goes into a very reactive manner and they're firefighting. Mm -hmm. it, that's what you want right. to avoid. That's what data ops and data observability help you avoid. They, they put in this discipline, so you proper testing. Like Igor said, you have automation in place. You don't want to make the same mistakes and you're trying yeah. to catch problems before they happen. It is a very common thing where IT will, will build something and then the QA tester is a senior executive who's running the dashboard. You never want to be in that because with that scenario, you are doing two, two things. You are eroding trust in your data team's capabilities and you're eroding trust in the data quality. So that's why if you're doing anything serious and at large scale, your know, data ops should be very much part of your your day-to-day -day life. Okay, pretty cool. Uh, thanks for that question, Ken. Brought out a lot of insights. Uh, but at the same time, I have a question. Like, obviously, we've talking a lot around data observability. So, what is the biggest gap that you see in data observability today, and how do you think it will be filled in the future? That's like kind of a question I'm sure a lot of people have. And because how's you know how how do you see it evolving and going out loud there? Igor, you want... Yeah, I, yeah, I can go and I'm looking at some of the questions that folks are submitting mm -hmm. in chat and I'm looking at Aditi's question about what's full stack observability. And I think this is going to tie in very nicely here. Yeah. The biggest gap is the focus of data observability has been on the consumer side of things. It's the data is now in, a, in the warehouse. It's in its final destination. It's in its final state. And there's something wrong with it. And now we need to look back and figure out what that is. Now, there's been obviously a lot of conversation about lineage is important for data observability. It's true. It's important to know where this, uh, where the data came from, what it could be affecting downstream, uh, upstream. But the biggest gap that I see is this connect between that final state, that final destination of the data in the warehouse and upstream. How did it get there? What were the pipelines that ran it? What database did that data come from? If it's, mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier, if it's internal data, there's probably some SQL server or Oracle or Postgres or MySQL box sitting behind that or Mongo to the denormalized uh, folks in the room uh, sitting behind that and storing the source of truth effectively that the application is using that then gets moved over to the warehouse. 
So how do we catch these things earlier? How do we trace back to them? How do we know that maybe even going all the way up, a change in an applic application code caused changes to be, uh, uh, changes in how the data is stored in the a transactional layer, which then caused the pipeline to either break or do something unexpected, which then caused the, the analytics data to be broken. And that's mm. really that full stack observability. And that's the really complex part. And that's where I think that biggest gap and where the industry is headed is how do we get that going? So at, for example, at Big Eye, we have customers that collect data, uh, run Big Eye both on their application database a replica of it, as well as their analytics database. And they say, all right, we can catch things earlier in our application database. We can also test that the pipelines are moving things correctly and that the replica uh, for the application looks the same as the warehouse data does. And if it doesn't, now we can start pinpointing things. Is it in the pipeline? Is right. it in the code? Is it uh, upstream? And so that's where I think the biggest gap is and where uh, we're going to have to fill it as an industry. Okay. I see... I see two gaps. The first gap I see is lack of awareness. Uh, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. I have published a few data observability documents, including evaluation criteria, frequently asked questions. Even then, people ask me, well, I'm not convinced. Do I really need it? Or I've built something in-house. I think it's good enough for me. What is data observability? So I, I think there's still a lot of education that needs to be done and that's missing. That's to me problem number one. The second problem is that a lot of products in this space are, are, are relatively very new. This, this is not uh, a very you know mature old uh, space so sometimes i'll see that that what the users want will require more than one product sometimes two or three because a certain department may want data quality another one may want to understand performance another one may want to understand auditing of usage of data uh, which falls into security the problem is uh, that we are facing is that we have so many different products in our uh, data and analytics ecosystem now. One department could be FTPing a file onto S3 and then using Redshift. Another department maybe uh, maybe using uh, BigQuery or Snowflake. And uh, you know, so to uh, with with Calibra Alation as a data catalog, so so basically, uh, customers are saying, you know, I want a single pane of glass. I imagine, you know, you're driving a Tesla, and Tesla has four or five different cameras, and you're the driver, and there are four or five different windows open, left rear view mirror, right. <laughs> front. It's like it's impossible. You get into a crash if you're watching four or five different dials. So how do you get this, you know, signals from different places, condense it into, you know, uh, uh, like remove the noise and have a consistent, uh, you know, dashboard that shows me this end-to-end -end observability is, is still not there yet. And I know we'll get there, but right now we have too many disparate tools. 
okay those uh, definitely i like the tesla example there i think uh, <laughs> sanjeev you've explained it very well with that example so thanks for that also uh, we have a few more questions coming here uh, let's take uh, first of all this amazing comment from dustin here we need to be more proactive and have a big eye <laughs> on our data which 100% makes sense uh, the question from dustin is where does the responsibility for data observability lie within an organization hierarchy that's important sen sanjeev made a comment a little bit earlier that i think addresses this fairly well it's mm. at the end of the day the person who is going to be um yelled at by the cfo when something looks mm. wrong on their dashboard is going to be the data the data team the data engineer the a uh, vp of data whoever however large organization is um that's what's going to happen um really the responsibility for observability though i think extends beyond data engineering sort of what we were talking about full stack observability a lot of data problems aren't caused by data engineering data engineering is just sort of the catch all bucket of well we're the ones responsible for the pipelines therefore people assume that we are the ones breaking the data but it's yeah. not oftentimes it's upstream so the software engineers the third party uh, providers uh, broke their contracts whatever that is is need there needs to be some way to expose that information back out to the business so mm -hmm. the responsibility seems to lie within the data team and specifically the data engineering team the data producers as we would uh, call them but I don't think that that's particularly fair especially being on the receiving end of this myself at Uber. I did not enjoy that and a lot of mm. my job was to point out here is actually what's causing these problems. I'm not trying to break your data. I am simply moving it from point A to point B and making sure that it all everything's smooth and the pipelines are working. But if you're having problems with your analysis it's because somebody changed code up uh, upstream or Facebook didn't deliver the data yesterday that's why your uh, dashboard didn't re refresh but mm. it's that my it was my responsibility to surface that otherwise at the end of the day I'm the one who's getting <laughs> yelled at and the one who's has to go and fix it yeah yeah well put yeah. awesome so uh, obviously moving on I have something around the lines where you know obviously uh we've spoken a lot around data observability around the person who's kind of responsible and other things but also what about the benefits in the use cases of data observability where do you see it applied in uh, do you have any thoughts on that maybe sanjeev yeah i can uh, uh, rattle off a few and then i'm sure igor will have a few to add mm -hmm. so some some benefits so one is you, you and i alluded to this you go from being reactive to proactive if you have observability because you can see the trend you can plot the trend this is the volume of data or this is a seasonality i i see a pattern of usage and all of a sudden there's a blip so i you know uh, i was expecting uh, the curve to go smoothly up but it it dipped so something is wrong so i i plotted mm. my future state and now i can uh, i can uh, do some analysis what we call root cause analysis of that so that's one the the second advantage is 
uh, is again, uh, e Igor alluded to this, I can do impact analysis. If the data producer, which could be a third party uh, person changed something, then, uh, then I can very quickly see what will be the impact on my entire pipeline. So my data transformation, the reports. So if I don't have data observability, then it'll take me, I'll get there. You know, because data catalogs also have lineage, but it just take me longer to get there. So data observability helps me, uh, you know, reduce this time to detect a problem and, and time to repair a problem. So that's a huge use case. Then another big one that I want to add is FinOps. So this is a relatively newer use case where we are saying it's not enough to just look at quality of data uh, and, and right. it's, but also the resource consumption. So if I see the resource consumption has gone up, then uh, because I, I'm collecting that metadata, I can then take some sort of proactive action and stop that, that query before I, I get a huge bill. So those are uh, a few use mm. benefits of having data observability. Very nice. Agor? Yeah, I, I think Sanjeev covered <laughs> covered the uh, uh, the vast majority yeah. of it. I think the macro point here is between the root cause analysis, the impact analysis, this is really about finding out the real cause of problems <laughs> as well as the real impact of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of want to go back to this people problem of teams assume that it's data, the data engineer's fault, the data team's fault, that something's broken and they are solely responsible for fixing it and bringing this visibility into here is what's actually going on. Also as a data consumer here, here declare your expectations. So then you can tell us what you expect out of it. And when something goes wrong, you'll find out about it first. You don't have to be surprised by it. It's having this visibility across the organization about the state of your data that gives mm. your organization trust in the data and the ability to actually do something with it and so moves that onus of the data is broken, something has to be done away from this team is responsible for that to yeah. the organization now is aware of what the state is and they are aware of what is being done about it. And maybe the person doing something about it is the data engineering team, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's the marketing team that says, we're, uh, we updated our Facebook contract. We know that the data is going to be delayed because we're, uh, um, changing, we're changing vendors, we're changing the APIs, whatever. We need some downtime. We're going to declare that up front. We're going to tell you that this is going to happen. We now know that the state of the data is going to look like this for a while. No, right. no surprises. No surprises within the organization about your data. Okay. And if it's done well, if both data ops and data observability are done well, a huge benefit. I've seen this is a real life example where this uh, company used to take six months to release a new product. Can you imagine like the business has a need and the data engineering team says, we'll add it to a roadmap, uh, it'll be a few months. Now they do releases within weeks. So that release cycle has uh, increased tremendously. Awesome. Those are uh, interesting insights. Thanks for sharing those. We have uh, 
another question here. But before we take any of those questions, obviously, uh, I just wanted to remind our audience who've joined us late that uh, guy is giving away one cool swag. Uh, so we'll be announcing the winner. But what you need to do is obviously type in hashtag guy in the chat and we'll be doing a cool raffle towards the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. Um, all right. So let's take this one from Emmanuel. How do we assess if an organization needs a data observability platform? Where do we start? That's a very important question, I feel. What do you think, Igor? Um, if you're getting surprised by your data, then you need a data observability platform. <laughs> Going back to the element of uh, surprise within the organization, if your stakeholders are opening up reports, if they're going to run a query and they look at the results and they're saying, this isn't what I expect, I'm going to have mm -hmm. to go dig into this or I'm going to go ask someone in the business if this is what uh, should be happening. Is there any problems, anyone looking at this? you're probably going down the path, you're at the point where you need, you should start having a data observability platform or a plan. Where you start really depends on your organization's needs and again, the, the scale of it. Mm. I, this is, I know this is going to sound like a selfish thing because I, I am the co-founder of Big Eye, but a lot of teams build things in-house first and then very quickly realize that that doesn't scale. If you want to make sure that your data observability plan survives the next six months to a year, you probably just want to start uh, looking at a tooling such as BigEye for your data observability platform. Because what we found in reality is people build their own in-house. Mm. They'll say, well, all we need to monitor are these pipelines and these properties of them. And that's it. That, that's all the data observability we need. Six months later, they have a different use case but now no one's mm -hmm. working on that project anymore. And now they have to go find an engineer to work on the project and extend their data observability uh, system. We have a team of 50 plus people working just on this problem. And we can bring a lot of these in, uh, insights to organizations that don't want to dedicate the resources to it. And it's not, if it's not core value prop for your business, if it's not bringing money to your business, if it's not progress moving your business forward, you shouldn't be spending time on it. Uh, and so data observability is a large part of this for many companies where this is a necessity, but it needs to just exist and just work. And so if you are interested in figuring out where to, where to start, I'm personally happy to talk about it. You can reach out to us uh, through our website and uh, read about what we have, but we can definitely help you understand where you are and where, um, where you need to go. Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, what do you think about it, Sanjeev? Where, 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 have you heard about people saying that, okay, now we actually need data observability platform because our data is maybe too complex. We need to have it. We need to understand it much better. Yeah, uh, some of the points that Igor uh, brought up, uh, I put them under build versus buy. When you, mm -hmm. uh, you should absolutely build stuff that is so custom that only your team needs it. But I don't think data observability falls in that. The more you build, the more technical debt you, you, you gather. And, uh, and then as requirements change or use cases expand, now you're stuck just trying to maintain your in-house uh, system. 
So I, I would not recommend that. And who should mm -hmm. do, do observability? It really depends, you know, how much time you're spending trying to do firefighting. Uh, you know, Slack messages, people complaining things are broken, or I cannot find this data. Is this the right quality of data? Did my pipeline run last night? People are asking mm -hmm. those kinds of questions. It's a clear indication you need data observability because no one should be wasting their time asking these mundane questions. They should be one. Uh, they should be uh, working to what more can I do with my data rather than you know very tactical questions. So that is that's a clear sign that data observability is needed. If you have a small, very small. Uh, set up with a few data engineers yeah I, I don't I wouldn't recommend it but as you grow your your department your data engineering team I think it's a, it's a good thing to have okay pretty cool uh, thanks for that thanks for the question Emmanuel uh, also uh, can't mention here uh, exactly do you want to be a software development shop or focus on your core competencies mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Also, uh, coming back, obviously, we've heard about, a lot of also about the software observability. So, what does that mean? Like, what's what? What what do you guys think about that? I mean, software observability is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. We use Datadog ourselves. We we need to monitor our own applications. I think the interesting part uh, about software observability at this point is how do you connect all of the dots together? Software is complex. Uh, if you look at Datadog, they have, I think, tens of products at this point, database uh, monitoring, APM, metrics, cus uh, custom things. All of this is now uh, being collected. And the challenge now is presenting this send you point single pane of glass. What is my application doing? Where is it struggling? And that sh should go all the way from API comes in, hits the database. Is the database query efficient? Did the API return in a reasonable amount of time? Did the data returned by the API uh, make sense? I think this is actually a really interesting uh, part of data observability versus software observability and where the two could start blending is, are we actually returning the right data from our services to begin with? And mm. can that be a leading indicator of problems with our, uh, with our data or with our software uh, or both? And so software observabilities are uh, here to stay, but there's a lot of really interesting things that um, can still be built into it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Igor, just a follow-up question there. So what are the different types of data observability? That's kind of, you know, obviously I've heard a lot around that, but would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I. It's it's interesting that people say there's different types of data observability. I think data observability mm -hmm. is a, a concept. I think there are different approaches to data observability, yeah. um, and this is where um, the the end result, the end goal of data observability is always the same. It's bring more visibility about your data into your organization. Now, right. the question is, how do you actually get there? Now, a big eye here, what we're big proponents of is T-shaped monitoring. So you probably care about knowing a little bit about everything, but mm. a lot about the few things that matter to you. So 
going back to uh, our Uber example, even what we're seeing with our customers, you have thousands of tables in your warehouse. You're really only using 50 to 100 on them on a weekly basis, probably, most likely. Everything else is tables that somebody created and never came back to, pipe, stale pipelines, uh, deprecated pipelines, like a V1 of something that now got replaced by V2, and we just you keep it running just in case. You need to ever swap it out, but now it's been six months and it just sits there. Um, the, it's important to know a little bit about that. Like, are the pipelines still running? Is it is the data still get, going into it? Is it on time? But then the 50 to 100 things you really care about, you probably really, really care about. Things like formats and things like, is um, are there any shifts in the behavior of the data? Who cares about that? What needs to be done? Where is it coming from? So the end goal is the same. The question is, which side do you start approaching it from? The little bit about everything or the a lot about something. And at Big Eye, we try to enable both of those and help you um, find the things that you care about and understand how to actually uh, monitor them in a way that helps your business avoid surprises about the things you care about. Okay, interesting. What do you think about that, Sanjeev? First of all, there is uh, observability, even if we talk about just data and analytics, not uh, you know the Datadog Splunk kind of infrastructure. Even at data mm. and analytics, there are different types. For example, let me, ta let me narrow down the list. There's MLOps. And machine learning uh, ops is actually a very, very detailed thing. They look at so many, you know, uh, machine learning uh, parameters. So to me, that's not part of data ops. Then there is something called business observability, KPI observability. Again, I don't include it into in data data ops. If I sorry, uh, data observability. If I look at data observability, mm -hmm. in my mind, it it breaks down into two approaches. Uh, some vendors are more focused on data quality, and some are more focused on data infrastructure and pipelines. So, uh, data quality ones are looking at the dimensions, duplicate, missing data, timeliness of data, accuracy of data. Data infrastructure people are more interested in uh, compute, performance, and so on. So those to me are, mm. are two different. But even when it comes to data quality, I see even that is now breaking up into two, two parts. There are some that are looking at, uh, at the generation of data into the value of data, like what values are stored. So they're inspecting the packets. And then there mm. are data quality observability tools that are looking at logs, query logs, application logs, and then doing that time series analysis. So that's how I see it. Okay. It's kind of like there's a lot of different approaches I see that, that vendors are taking. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, 100%, you know, Sanjeev, where you're mentioning about the approaches, I think uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of approaches out there. Okay, one, one quick question that we had here from Dustin is, how do we get business stakeholders excited about data observability? That's interesting. <laughs> the, sto right. yeah. the, the story that we like to use is always, 
when was the last time you looked at a dashboard and it was broken or the data looked like the numbers looked wrong? And every mm -hmm. single person is going to say last <laughs> week, like uh, earlier, <laughs> earlier this week, whatever it is, they're going to say, yeah, I remember and I couldn't do anything. And we kind of wasted 15 minutes in a meeting discussing why the data is wrong. Like you, you get them excited by saying, do you want to avoid situations like this? Do you want to save your time? Do you want to be feel more confident in the data? Do you want to know about these problems ahead of time rather than being surprised by them? And most business stakeholders are value their time. They value their energy and they want to spend their time and energy on th other things than let me look at this dashboard and yeah, I don't trust the data. So I'm going to look at every single number and gut check it and make sure that it looks right. That tell showing them the path forward to a, a world where they don't have to, uh, they can mm. trust the data and they don't have to double check it all the time is pro would, I would hope get them excited about having data observability uh, in the organization. Very cool. Dustin, what do you, uh, sorry, Sanjeev, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I think the thrill of having an ability to do multiple releases within a month Damn. to me is a, is a huge thing. You know, it's like what used to take months. I can now, you know, just keep going. Out there. Yeah, because because CI/CD is part of the uh, this space. You know, uh, the bigger space of of um, data observability and, and data ops. And I think that's pretty exciting. Okay, that's nice. Uh, moving forward, obviously, I know for a fact where, you know, obviously, Igor, you've done a lot in this space uh, for the community as well. So how is Big Eyes approach different from, uh, different and, you know, uh, what is the, what is data stack observability? Can you also tell a little about you know, give us a little insight into that. Yeah, and so I know I know there's a, a question here from Emmanuel as well. I I'm not gonna uh, I can talk about that as well in this uh, answer around how does Big Eye differ from Monte Carlo? We, yeah, we've sort of been uh, talking about other vendors, other approaches. So let I can definitely talk more about the approach that Big Eye takes. And for us, it's all about flexibility and pushing the observability into as far upstream as it can go and as deep mm. into the data as, as possible and being able to scale that out and make that efficient. So uh, for, for example, as I mentioned, we have customers that use Big Eye's Delta feature to say SQL Server versus Snowflake. Do they look the same? Or is our replication correct? Migrating from Snowflake to Databricks from one warehouse to another. Is my migration uh, working as I expect? Um, my very important table, let's say it's my orders table. Is the, is the distribution of my uh, prices correct? Do I have negative prices? I, if I have negative prices, that's going to screw up my machine learning model and that's going to be a problem for me. And so our goal at Big Eye is to help you express these things as quickly and efficiently as possible where, where I mentioned a lot of other vendors start with that broad and uh, shallow of a little bit about everything. Let's get freshness mm. everywhere, let's get row counts everywhere, and then let's, uh, if something's not fresh, let's figure out why it's not fresh, which pipeline caused it and what happened. That helps you get part of the way, but a lot of this, uh, a lot of what's important to you and important to your actual data products is that deep observability. It's that understanding that 
the data that you're using is conforming to what you expect. And being able to express though that efficiently is something that's really important to us uh, here at Big Eye. And we actually have a exciting release coming up uh, later this week. I'm not going to wow. spoil it, but it'll it'll help um, do this at scale for a lot of data engineering teams uh, and push it more towards tools that you're more familiar with and tools uh, mm. and more uh, code based rather than having to click through a UI. So um, stay on the lookout for that as well. Okay, that's pretty cool. Looking forward to that one, uh, Igor, 100%. Also, uh, that, you know, brings me to another important question. If people want to actually learn more about, you know, the educational stuff that you guys are doing, I know for a fact that Big Eye has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of articles, but at the same time, you also have a, uh, a lot of ebooks that are also, and maybe some guides that are coming up. So where can they go, reach out, learn more about it, Igor? Yeah, um, our website's a great, uh, great starting place. We have a, a whole resources section now. Our blog, um, we publish a lot of content on our blog, not just about Big Eye, but about the space and how people are approaching data reliability problems and uh, how they're implementing their own. We have events and webinars, so sign up. Uh, we do a product demo about once a month uh, or so. So you can sign up for our next product demo and see it in action and. Uh, learn more about it uh, that way. Also, I say this on every single show, I and I mean it, email me, Igor at bigeye.com. I will yeah. respond to you and I will gladly help answer your questions or put you in touch with the right folks uh, on our team. Okay, that's nice. Thanks for that, Igor. Okay, one quick question here from Yavin that I wanted to pick. How does Big Eye handle other external forces to govern data against uh, that is PII or GDPR issues to prescribe a better decision against the business process model. Very interesting. Uh, this is this is really interesting. This is a good question, Yavin. So a lot of times what we see with uh, data that's considered um, that's considered sensitive is mm. it's sensitive for uh, it can be sensitive in one of uh, two ways. So the first way is people just shouldn't be seeing it. Honestly, like for mm. example, if emails are showing up in a field, you're already doing something wrong, for example. And in that case, what we can, what we help teams do is we help monitor those fields and say, does do any of these look like emails? If anything here looks like an email, then our hashing mechanisms broken and our uh, obfuscation mechanisms broken. We need to yeah. know about that early and go and, fix it so that we can comply with uh, uh, all of the uh, policies that we have. Um, the, others, the other side to this is maybe it's okay to uh, see this data, but you want to start marking it as uh, sensitive and roll that further into your models, understand where that sensitive data is coming from uh, in your application. So that's what the guy can help do is understand where is it and where does it where is it coming from and what does it look like? So then you can make better decisions about what to do with it. I'm not, uh, I'm not quite following the last part of this question uh, to do better decisions against the business process model. But Yavin, if you could reach out to me on LinkedIn or email, um, yep. I'd be happy to continue the discussion. Awesome. But that was kind of interesting and uh, helpful, Igor. So thanks for that. Uh, also, uh, one quick question uh, to both of you, obviously. How do you see data observability in the next two to three years? 
and what are the major developments that you feel that will happen in this space so i see uh, data observability becoming more uh, accepted i also mm. see that uh, i mentioned that there are different schools of thought on data observability and different approaches so i see those coming together because it'll be very hard uh, for organizations to have piecemeal data observability uh, i i I see almost everybody is now introducing data observability. If you are a data catalog vendor, you're, you have it now. Uh, different cloud providers are, are starting to look into yeah. it. Uh, DBT is, uh, like you know, everybody now is, is looking into this. But what is going to happen is that there'll be a consolidation, a more cohesive uh, single pane of glass kind of a, uh, offering rather than multiple different ones. Yep. Mm, interesting. What do you think? I I agree with the single pane of glass. The As a technologist, something that may, it gets me interested is how do we even get there? Right now, right. Um, the difficulty in getting there is everything, every database, every data store, every ETL framework exposes its own set of concepts. Correct. There's no there's mm. no standard Open Lineage, actually, I don't know uh, if you've heard of it, is it was a project um, around creating a standard around uh, across pipelines and data sets and describing them in the same manner. Um, mm. That was a really interesting initiative. It was actually, it, uh, was uh, the company behind it was bought by DBT earlier this year. Astronomer. Astronomer. Yeah. By Astronomer, Astronomer. right. Astronomer, right. Uh, uh, that's right. And so... Now, the interesting question is, what are, what are we going to do with that? There is a lot of work around the standardization of how do we express these concepts? Uh, how do we map the concepts from the uh, individual systems into one? What does an airflow pipeline, does an airflow pipeline look like uh, a Dagster pipeline, look like uh, a Matillion pipeline? How do we, ex uh, what are the properties of all of those that we can track? This standardization has to happen in order for us to get to a single pane of glass. And mm. it's, I can guarantee you that every single data vendor right now has the same problem. It's go and connect to a bunch of these disparate sources, normalize all of the information they're providing you, and then expose that in that uh, in the product. We struggle with it at Big Eye. I know everyone else struggles it with across the space. Um, I'm really hoping for some standard to come out. I don't know if it's open lineage. I don't know if it's mm. something else, but hopefully some major player adopts one big one. Maybe if astronomer can really get open lineage uh, embedded into the airflow community and maybe even push back to the open source uh, into open source and have an easy way to declare things around it, that might wow. be a triggering point for us to say, here is how we describe data assets. And mm -hmm. now that it's in every single airflow pipeline and expressible, now everyone else has to start conforming back into it. And then it'll become a lot easier to build these single panes of glass. And then data observability becomes, how do we present that information? How, what, how quickly can we take action on it? And that's really the exciting product problem, not the integration right. side of things. So I'm really hoping that, that from a technology standpoint, we get there in the next couple of years so we start answering these more interesting uh, product yeah. and business questions yeah I, I, I do I want to end here by saying 
the data observability sounds like a misnomer. Igor, I, I don't know if you agree or not, because it sounds like you're observing the data, but observing the data is not that interesting. Why would you just observe the data? You need to observe the data, uh, notify, uh, alert if there's mm -hmm. a problem, and the holy grail would be if you can automate some remediation, which is not going to be that easy, but at least mm -hmm. have recommendations. No. So it's, right. don't see people hanging and say, oh, here, I found all these problems. Good luck. You know, so there has to be some closure to that. Yeah, that's very true. I agree. Awesome. Uh, those were great points. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's also time for us to actually announce the winners uh, winner of the swag. So let's go ahead. This is very cool raffle that we always do on our show. It's like uh, for those obviously participating, but uh, also joining the show, it's always a benefit. Here we go. Uh, for those who participated, all the best. Let's see who the winner is. So this is a cool raffle for those who put a hashtag. They can they are actually put into the tool. And the winner is Sonia Kanwasra. Congratulations, you from YouTube. So you win a swag of Big Eye. Thank you very much, a big guy, for providing that. One last question, actually, I wanted to take from Igor, uh, from Dustin. Uh, and this is pretty interesting. In, uh, it has been asked a lot of times. Uh, I've heard a lot about it. But uh, how would data observability fit into a broader data governance program? And that's something, you know, has been, a, I've heard a lot about it. People talk a lot. So, but what are your thoughts about that, big uh, Igor? I Data observability provides, on one hand, provides signals that you need in order to have a data governance program. And on the other hand, it takes information from your data governance program in order to provide you better signals. For example, uh, if you are already, if you already have your uh, data subject matter experts who are curating uh, data sets in a catalog and saying, this is where you go for sales data. This is what it looks like. This is what every column is going to give you. All of those things can be expressed in these sorts of data observability assertions. We expect mm. this column to be positive. We expect this uh, user ID column to always have a value and not be null. That can then flow back into the, your data observability uh, platform and allow you to monitor for those things over time. And then when there are problems, alert you back through the, your, the rest of your governance program by saying, all right, Hello there, uh, data uh, sales data owner. Something, uh, one of these assertions was violated. The data observability tool found that uh, there are nulls in your user ID. This is affecting the following things. Go, go reach out to somebody about it. Or maybe we are about to trigger this. We're about to just go drop all these records. Like uh, Sanjeev said, auto remediation. We're about to drop all these records. Are you okay with that? If you are, press yes. We're going to go clean it up. We're going to rerun our check. We're going to update your catalog. Everything's all golden. So I think it's this, it's part of a larger program, but the signals flow both ways. And it's of, it's a, an important part of a broader data governance uh, program. Okay. These are uh, amazing questions. Thanks for that. Uh, and thanks for uh, sharing those insights. Uh, uh, Gore, Sanjeev, I think uh, audience have uh, you know definitely enjoyed this and me being out there learning so much from you both. Uh, but uh, one final question if people want to reach out, I know Igor, you mentioned they can reach out to you on LinkedIn and also on email. But Sanjeev, if people want to reach out to you, learn more about 
uh, different projects that you're doing? Where can they reach out and learn more from you? So the uh, easiest way is if you go to my website, which is sanjmo.com, okay. and you can post a question and I'll just trigger an email to me. I uh, also have a YouTube channel uh, uh, called It Depends. So I posted a few data observability videos on that. If you want to check it out, just have to just do a Google search for It Depends Sanjmo. And you'll see some of my videos. Okay. I am uh, just typing in your website here. And for those who want to reach out to Sanjeev, they can go out to his website and learn more from it. And also for all the resources that you might want to uh, learn more about our data observability, Big Eye is your place. Uh, and love the work what big guys doing god thanks for thanks a lot for coming on and sharing these insights it's i'm sure the community loves these insights for those uh, who uh, you know obviously we had a lot of questions but uh, feel free to reach out to igor or sanjeev i'm sure they'll be happy to help you yes uh, and thanks uh, again for joining us i know sanjeev it's been a long day for you so we'll re- let you rest and go to big mm-hmm. data london tomorrow Uh, And Igor, I will see you tomorrow. Uh, uh, And thank you very much. Yep. All right, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.